0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This
1: is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker.
0: Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. So when we last left our discussion, we were getting into all things Kate Bush because Kate Bush was one of the most important artists of the 80s and she's one of the most important artists of 2022, thanks to Stranger Things. So joining me to continue this epic discussion about the importance of Kate Bush is NPR music critic, Ann Powers, one of the most respected music critics today and the writer of the recent very eloquent essay, How Kate Bush's The Dreaming Made My Monsters My Own. Welcome back, Ann. Oh, thanks so much for having me back. I know there was just too much to discuss last time. I needed to have you guys back. So, also rejoining me today is a rising recording artist and icon from RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Loves Kate so much that uh, dressed as Kate Bush for Drag Race UK's amazing British Gay Icon Runway Challenge. Welcome back, Ginny Lemon.
1: I am as it's good to be back. (laughs) I'm so happy
0: you guys were willing to come back because we have so much more to talk about. On the subject of dancing and stuff, you know, she studied dance with Lindsay Kemp. Mm -hmm. Lindsay Kemp was, I don't know if you've seen that film she did. It wasn't in the 80s. It was in the 19, uh, Mm -hmm. I guess it was 1993. It was called uh, The The Line Across the
2: the Curve and the Curve. Lindsay Kemp
0: is in it. But I always, I'm a failed ballet dancer. I never really got past like intermediate ballet, but I've always loved all her dancerly qualities. I mean, like Mm -hmm. whether the first memory, I mean, I was very young, but the first memory I have of Kate was when she actually did her first U.S. TV appearance ever, which was on Saturday Night Live, and uh, she was sort of like in a gold unitard on a piano, kind of doing Pilates. She was kind of doing like mm-hmm. post punk Pilates on this piano. <laughs> but then, you know, obviously the red shoes, rubber band girl, that entire f- short film, which is kind of a b- Black Swan before there was Black Swan, and there's this whole part plot point of of that film, which is like these shoes that take control of her that she like needs to get off her feet. It's actually very much like the, the, if you, if you're familiar with the original Snow White, the Snow White fable, where she where Snow White, like dances to death. Cause she has shoes. She can't take off. It's like all the whole, the ballet stuff really, you know, speaks to me and all the dancing stuff that she studied with Lindsay Kemp speaks to me. And there was a line from your essay and where, uh, I'm quoting it now. It said, she didn't want to stay in her body. Mm. So like, which I thought, was such a beautiful line. So I'd love to talk about as as a performer as well with you, Jenny, how like Kate's movement, how she's, I mean, you know, the, the running up that hill video, that is how so many people have just discovered her is like, basically Mm -hmm. it's like an award winning. So you think you can dance, like you would win. So you think you can (laughs) dance with that? Um, You know, it's a, it's a contemporary uh, uh, dance piece. So yeah. Can either of you speak to sort of that aspect of her artistry?
2: Well, as far as The Red Shoes goes, um, it was based on a film, uh, Mm. a 1948 uh, drama that was directed and produced by Michael Powell, the Mm. great melodrama master Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. And in that film, which is itself based on uh, a fairy tale, I believe, by Hans Christian Andersen, it is about a ballerina who you know, makes a deal with the devil or something and and puts on these shoes and then cannot take the shoes off. What I think is powerful about that, just as a side note, is think about where Kate was in her career in the 90s. And it's really about the plight of the artist. What do I choose? Do I choose you know mortal life and and the love of my family or do i choose my my muse my career my art that's going to drive me to death ultimately jump in front of a train you know so that's the story of the of the red shoes and i think dancing in kate's music in her songs and in her videos often is a form of possession mm-hmm. you know it's a for, it's the moment when she transforms she is in in Wuthering Heights, and I'd love to hear your viewpoint on this, Jenny. She's like she's a ghost and she's communicating through the window to Heathcliff to grab his soul away. So it is a way <clears throat> out of our kind of daily lives. And I think that was important in rock and roll because you know, especially we're used to kind of the male swagger of rock and roll and the dance of rock and roll is this phallic thing. Right. And here comes Kate and it's like, no, you want some really intense dancing. Let's look to ballet. Let's look to the feminine traditions. Let's look to folk dancing. And she gave us that. And I'm so grateful.
1: Yeah, exactly what you said about the, with the, with the dance and the, and the performance developments, especially with the red shoes, you look at the, the whole album, you know, and with the line, the cross and the curve, the album was there kind of, with uh, the visual element as well. It was kind of a first, it was not a music video, it's not it's not a film. It's kind of like a visualette throughout the whole entire thing, which which yes. kind of tells the story as well, which Kate is always doing. You know, it's it's not just the music, it's telling the story as well. And whatever it takes and Kate is very, I always think is quite canny at, at using whatever it takes. You know, look at mm-hmm. the very early shows and there'd be very theatrical set for a theatre and also using simple props like the, the old performances we see of the, like the large cello and, and things like that.
2: Right. And imagine
1: these at your, you know, at, at, you're at home on your television screen and you really see her performing for the television. You know, and you right. see this element of Kate performing for the television. And then when music videos really start happening, that's when she's really performing. She's dancing, you know, being the pop star, being the rock star of the time. And then, yeah, interestingly, like you said about The Red Shoes, I'd never really thought about it that way, about Mm. how, especially from that album, then The Big Gap, of course, it was like, we have given me a little light moment (laughs) there, and this is, of course, it goes deeper and deeper, you know, which is another element of Kate, you can't help but adore, you you hear it, you see it, you feel it, you know, it Mm. goes deeper and deeper each time, so again, with the progression from, the, from the, the, the large gap and then doing Before the Dawn, the performative elements there, you know, there was still movement. There was still magic. And you, you see elements from roller skating and rollerblading around a ballroom. And then you see her now creeping with a large fish head in corners <laughs> and doorways. You know, there's always that performance, movement, dance element to it, which is, it changes. And that's really fascinating.
2: Absolutely. And, and- and a spiritual aspect too, right? You know, she she oh, yeah. was uh, from the very beginning, this is something that resonated with me too, as like a lapsed Catholic kid who was trying to figure out how to have A spiritual life, you know, and and here's Kate, them heavy people, you know, mentoring Gurdjieff, who is a a, a mystic who also inspired Robert Fripp, people like that. And this goes on. And so, you know, I wanted to point out the song also from The Red Shoes, the song Lily. And she. Uh, has a beautiful uh, video with Lily, who is Lily Cornford, uh, who was a spiritual healer Mm -hmm. in London, an older woman, and uh, promoted a thing called mental color healing, which uh, means you are restored to health by viewing various colors and to me that's so Kate you know it's like I don't know I'm feeling mentally healed by looking at the yellow behind you Jimmy so I feel we're doing well, a little that's, well, that's
1: uh, the we're doing very a little mental of
2: color healing that is right the now.
1: very purpose of it so I can relate to that <laughs> you know he, uh, yellow is the color of healing so I surround mm. myself with healing and protection mm. and happiness I love so that, it it's a very spiritual thing for me and that element of performance and and colour and and theme you know and mm, yes work you can see that shifting and the way things and different emblems and to- totems like that that people are drawn to you know and especially with the with with I mean look at the 50 words for snow yes you look at something like that and that's a whole you know that is a force of snow and weather and darkness and bleak and cold you know, that's that's how you listen to it from the, the moment you start listening to the very end, you feel the cold, you know, you feel that frost, you feel it in you. And mm. I think that's, you know, from that going from that to dancing in the red shoes, something so visceral, something so how an artist can kind of go through that i mean she's just great isn't she we're just here blowing well i
0: i do want to ask sort of we're talking about so much of her imagery whether it's her style the colors the video but what i always thought was really interesting about her is i never felt like anything she did from the very beginning from 1979 was for the male gaze obviously mm-hmm. and not there was anything wrong with males finding you attractive or whatever but so much of pop and women and pop seems to be you know directed at like being hot or being sexy or whatever it's just how the business is but if i never got the impression that was ever where kate came from i'd love for you guys to speak about that because i think that is why she resonated with a lot of female artists and a lot of women in general
2: I, it's interesting. I think she struggled in her early years when she was only a teenager, you know, when she first became so famous and she was mm-hmm. surrounded by all these older guys, not only David Gilmore and her brothers, but um, but Del Palmer, who was her, her companion and great collaborator in those early albums. And so, you know, she's kind of that girl, that boys girl in a way in the band with the boys. Right. And I don't know her. I wish I did, <laughs> but but I I suspect that she was just a super music nerd. It's interesting. I I recently interviewed Debbie Debbie Harry for this new Blondie mm-hmm. box with Chris Stein, and thinking about Debbie and Chris and what their relationship was and how. Uh, she was presented as this, you know, obviously ultimate sex symbol. But she's just a music nerd. Like their whole relationship was about, hey, look, here's this weird record I found in a bin on St. Mark's Place. And I think Kate was sort of like that too. So in her heart, it's not like she didn't want to perform or be seen or think about her appearance. Obviously, she did. But the pop process that makes you into that <coughs> cheesecake, you know, that was that was very foreign to her. I remember a story of a poster that they made, I think, or maybe it was like the alternate cover of The Kick Inside that was her like in a tank top and how that was really not what she wanted to do, you know? So as soon as she could gain control around the time of the dreaming of her own image fully, you see her presenting herself in 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 ways that are much more theatrical, much more about that tradition than, than pop. Again, like not that she's... Not a, a visual icon, obviously she is, and not that she can't just stun us by just standing there, as she does in the, the incredible video for "Don't Give Up," which maybe we can also talk about. Don't give up, cause you have friends. Don't give up, you're not me.
0: Is it true, actually? just since you bring that up, I've heard that the original duet partner for Peter Gabriel for Don't Give Up was supposed to be Dolly Parton. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've read that.
2: I've read that. That would have been an even more uh, weirder video. <laughs> of them clinging to each other. That's <laughs> what, what I love we... about that video
0: though, is the fact that it seems like, I actually don't know if they ever had a romantic relationship. I'm not under the impression they did. Um, I think so. But you would have thought that from looking at the video. You would have, you know, I mean, they're like, clinging to each other like they're on a yeah, life that, rep.
1: Doesn't that make you think you know, the possibilities are endless? Now imagine if it was Kate and Dolly.
2: Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> now that would have been incredible. The ultimate <laughs> duet,
1: you know? Oh, my
2: gosh. And if, and then Peter and, Gabriel and Kenny Rogers doing Islands in the Sea. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Oh <laughs> my, <laughs> my, well, <laughs> you know, Dolly's getting into the Rock and Roll Hall
0: of Fame this year as well. So, oh, yes. my God, if only... If oh, only Kate Bush had gotten, gotten, in. <laughs> oh, no, Bush no, had gotten in as well and was willing to fly out for the ceremony in L.A., there could have maybe been some in alternate universe, some like don't give up duet with like Peter Gabriel and Dr. Uh,
2: I love it. <laughs> I actually think it's great that we brought up Dolly because Dolly, too, she's very similar to Kate in many ways. And she's a storyteller. She's very gothic. If you've ever heard those songs she's written about, you know, dead children, all the many songs about. I mean, Sisters about- of
0: Mercy and Strawberry Switchblade both come over jolene so
2: there, yeah they well i mean you know and there's crazy any anyway, i'm not that's a, that is a true rabbit hole but but also <laughs> i think the way that dolly plays with the image the feminine image you know and and makes herself into the backwoods barbie with such a big wink you know and again it's like distancing yourself from from the the usual glamour machine inventing your own glamour machine
1: you know yeah it's about for me, it's about taking control, isn't it? It's about, yes. it's clearly you see people who are so smart to tip their feet into an industry, especially a male dominated industry, as it still is now, tip their feet and be like, okay, well, I'll give you a little bit of this, but I'm just doing this because I'm learning. And then to be, you know, and then to take control of their own image, their own pathway, their own career. I think these, these are ultimately, Smart women, like just courageous, amazingly smart women who were able to play the game. That's what I see is that there was an element there that, yeah, maybe there was that tank top pick of Kate, but she got it back when she did the dreaming. You know, she
0: (laughs) She got it back. (laughs) Well, we also mentioned, I mentioned this woman's work a while ago, you know, quite, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe in America, at least people know the Maxwell version better, but I. And, you know, Eugenie mentioned domesticity and, you know, Mm -hmm. songs for laundry and stuff. I'd love to talk about that song. It's not the only song she's written about motherhood or childbirth, like Room for the Life is the other one that comes top Mm -hmm. of mind for that. But I mean, it's kind of a rare song. It's, you know, in terms of its point of view, especially because it's written from the point of view, you know, of, of the male partner. And also, I think some people might not realize that it was written for a John Hughes movie that was... Otherwise a pretty light-hearted movie. Like it was kind of like a rom-com. And then there's this scene and there's this like heavy, intense, emotional song. And I'd love to talk about, you know, how she had those kind of themes that you don't really have in songs too often.
2: Well, it's interesting. Yeah, that this woman's work was written for that rom-com. I, mean, I always wonder what what the whoever the music director was for that film thought when they received the song, because it is it is so heavy. But actually, if you watch the movie, it's actually, it works, because I think it's Kevin Bacon, right? It, he is like waiting in the hallway and being nervous. Is this going to go okay? And all this stuff. And I mean, the Maxwell version plays beautifully on that, I think, you know. But it's not just the subject matter of that song. It's the environment that that song creates, which Maxwell so beautifully also taps into, it is a womb-like sound, you know, and and wasn't the record that Maxwell recorded that song on called Embrya? I think it might've been called Embrya, but know, right. he has a record called Embrya. So so it, for me with Kate, it's always the subject, but it's also always the sound. If Kate were a folk singer singing these songs, well, I guess she'd be Joan Baez. But, <laughs> but you know, it wouldn't, you know, strumming away. You have to have the environment to convey what they convey.
1: I find the Maxwell thing really interesting because, I mean, I had no idea until about a couple of years ago about this this Maxwell cover. And interestingly, I found it through going onto YouTube and watching mainly Americans reacting to Kate Bush's version. So because they were so used to the Maxwell version, they they were like, oh, what is this? And then they go through the process of them reacting, finding out mm. it was the original, et cetera, et cetera. What was amazing to to see was that obviously it was a beloved song, which I, for me, I I felt like I wish I'd done a reaction to this one because I was like, ah, hang mm. on, I've never I've never heard this version. I've always heard Kate's. Was the instant tears that it kind of that it mm. created, and it was yes. time and time again that those and I it, it can get me now. You know, I was I was doing a show um, uh, a Kate charity night at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern in London the other week, and people were rehearsing, and I hear the opening. You know, you just hear those a little plunk of a piano in that first yeah. note and the reaction you know I've, i even though I've heard it so many times I still wanted to cry then it kind of caught me off guard and that's what was the main thing about this reaction is that people were crying kind of pretty much instantly without them even realizing especially wow. if you've already heard you've already heard this if you this is one of your favorite songs and then you're like oh so it's it's very bizarre
2: uh, you know, there's also the shift in perspective in this song where it is from the viewpoint of a man considering what a woman goes through when when she has a baby. And this kind of takes us back to Running Up That Hill because Running Up That Hill is actually about two people in a relationship and, and Kate saying, well, what if from a heterosexual perspective, what if I could be in your body and experience what a man experiences, what a cishet man experiences. What if you could be in my body? So mm-hmm. this is something profound about what Kate does. She challenges us about thinking outside of our own bodies, our own life yeah. experiences, and
0: like like that, that's line in your essay. She didn't yeah, want to be in her
2: body, right? And 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 I think that having a man do this woman's work, but then having it be Maxwell, who is this ethereal voice kind of, you know, claims it for the male perspective, but then Maxwell is in vocally anyway, is is very non-binary in my feeling, you know, and, and so it really is, a, it, it hits you, you know, and going back, I'm just making lots of leaps now, <laughs> but thinking about like Kate's, in, <laughs> Kate's influenced by Stevie Wonder or Marvin Gaye, and those voices of, you know, great male R&B singers who are in the upper register singing in a falsetto. And just again, like, I will not stay in the identity box that you want me to be in. Thanks, so. That's the key.
0: So we are talking, obviously, about one of her most famous songs, This Woman's Work. And, of course, we all, the springboard for this was Running Up That Hill, which is having all this great success. But when push comes to shove, <laughs> what is your favorite Kate Bush song? I'll go first. Mm. It's Babushka. <laughs> which I consider to be the, the post-punk piña colada song. If you know the piña colada song, Jenny, um, we should, you know, maybe it could be the lemon colada song, but basically it's about a, what a personal ad. And in the piña colada song, it all goes right. At the end, there's a happy ending, not so much at Babushka. I think Babushka is the more realistic version of how things Yeah, work. it doesn't go too well. Yeah. But I also <laughs> want to say, speaking of British gay icons, I just want to give a shout out to Jake Shears from Scissor Sisters. Jake Shears did this song on season one of The Masked Singer UK, dressed as the unicorn, heard the voice, immediately <laughs> knew it was Jake Shears. But I just think that was like just epic that that even happened. But th- that's mine. <laughs> love you know the storytelling aspect of it and the fact you know pina colada song is kind of the only song i can think of by rupert holmes that has that sort of thing where a couple meet through you know put a personal ad turns out they already know each other but the darkness of the kate bush story ending is what i like about it that's mine so you guys whichever one wants to go to first i know it's a daunting question might be more. <laughs> and it's okay if you want to give a, a multiple part answer i will not hold you to just one but if you can name oh. one or two
1: Who's going to go first? It's, it's always hard <laughs> to just pick one, though, isn't it? It's always hard to just pick one. I think one of the songs that always kind of, uh, again, because it's so personal, it's it's always hard to think, oh, you know, this is my favourite. And then I think, oh, you can really tell a lot about someone's favourite. So if I was to say Under the Ivy, you think, oh, God, OK. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but as a performer, uh, you know, I think that kind of kind of goes with the territory you know when I've taken off the when I'm in that sad dressing room when I'm, and my makeup is peeling onto the floor after the gig in some some town I've never heard of you know but I'm really I always kind of go to Burning Bridge mm-hmm. that seems to be one of my recurring favorite um Kate Bush songs I think mainly because of the the vocal lick and the way the way the way I had it I had it on cd of um, a remaster of the Hounds of Love so I it wasn't until the reissues of the vinyl I didn't really get that Hounds of Love and Ninth Wave were kind of a two-parter it was kind of I had everything and then these remixes and then these bonuses at the the bottom so I just thought Burning Bridge was like wait we're we're getting happy again so (laughs) the song keeps coming back to me time and time again it always seems to be the one uh, which is funny because it's not one of the most popular or an album track you know it's kind of a B song (laughs)
2: Yeah, my favorite B-side, my goodness, I've got like five songs rattling around in my head. I think my favorite B-side from Kate might be Lord of the Reedy River, which is the B-side uh-huh. of Sat in Your Lap. It's, uh, so, yeah. it's just like she did that thing. She did the thing. She she managed to write an a, a eternal folk song, a timeless folk song. So, so incredible. But sat in your lap is is definitely mm-hmm. my manifesto and i was talking about it with a friend recently and the friend was saying oh that line we let the weirdness in i mean what a tattoo line you know get it tattooed on your arm <laughs> but for me the line is when she says just when i think i i'm king i just begin i mean to me that is the creative process or the process of being a writer you know just when i think i've mastered it oh my gosh i'm back at the beginning just when I- For me, that is, you know, that's so profound. But uh, other ones I love, Top of the City has really been resonating with me lately. It's it's just, why is that not as big as My Heart Will Go On? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's that kind of ballad. It deserves to be that big, you know, the just the the sweep and scope of it. And then I'll say from just to throw a little light on 50 words for snow. I think Lake Tahoe is really amazing. It's a whole film in one, um, in one song. And I want there to be a Netflix Scandi noir based on Lake Tahoe.
1: <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Me too. Starring Dolly Parton. Yes. There you go. We got...
0: Perfect. So, <laughs> sort of to, to wrap it, wrap it up, you know, obviously, Running up that hill and the kind of unexpected success of that is what started this conversation. And obviously all these kids have gone down rabbit holes on YouTube or whatever to find out who this woman is. Do you, I think this, I wonder if you guys agree. Do you think the fact that this song and Kate Bush is resonating so much now in 2022 is because there is so much mystery, you know, surrounding her. She, you know, takes very long hiatuses from recording. Um, didn't do a lot of interviews back in the day. Didn't tour, you know, didn't tour after 1979. As I mentioned, I flew all the way out to London to see her perform in 2014 because I knew it would probably be my only chance. And, you know, we live in an age of, as Jenny was saying, with the scrolling, like Social media overexposure, we know everything about everyone, and when this song kind of hit like a lightning bolt to a lot of people who knew nothing about Kate Bush, they were like, "Who is this woman? You know How mm-hmm. have I never heard about her? What does she look like?" and so I'd love to get your thoughts on how you think you know the mystery of the fact that Kate Bush is not so overexposed has sort of played into her resurgence lately
2: it's very similar to Shaw Day, I think you mm-hmm. know um, another woman who Uh, made amazing music in her early heyday, um, who is a touchstone for so many current artists, but who prioritized her private life and made choices. I mean, not quite as, quote unquote, reclusive as Kate, but but, you know, didn't just overburden us with her presence, you know? <laughs> so now when people discover Sade, it's like, oh, a whole world. So uh, it's a smart way to do your career, actually, turns out if you, well, it was. I, I, it, the way this the industry is now, you have to be out there so much more. I don't know if it would be possible to, to be, a, I don't know if a Kate Bush could emerge At this moment in the same way, but it's Yeah, uh, the the
0: only two examples I can think of in recent memory that are sore the same, not to the same degree, but is Adele, who does mm -hmm. take long times off between records and doesn't, you know, do a lot of touring. And in between records, you don't hear much about her, and she's not super active on social media. And maybe Daft Punk, who, Hmm. you know, at the height of their fame, which was random access memories, you know, they did not tour that record. You know, most people don't know what they look like. You know, they um, obviously they're disguised. They, you know, their last album came out in 2013, every, mm. you know, and now they're broken up, but like every year there were hopes they would play Coachella or they would like put another album out. That's the only kind of artist I can think of in recent memory that have that sort of like they go away for a while and then you miss right. them kind of thing. Right. Jenny, I'd love to speak with you about, you know, in terms of right. your discovery of her and how that her mystery might have lent to her appeal.
1: I don't think um, I don't think it would be possible to like currently the way things stand without unless you are in a very privileged position mm-hmm. and your family has lots of money and <laughs> your, you know, your parents seem to be a famous person. You can go away and make an album. That seems to be the industry at the moment that, that I see. Um, it takes a lot of privilege. You can't really just be talented and ferry away and do your music. So Kate, I think, was extremely lucky to do it when 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 they did the most admirable thing about that for Kate in particular is that we really just focus on the art. That's what we focus on. You know, it's not the celebrity. It's not what she's wearing in a magazine, what she's doing, you know, has she got this the latest fridge in her kitchen? Like we don't care about that. You know, it'd be lovely if 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 Kate did cribs or if she went on, you know, celebrity dancing with the stars or whatever. But, you oh my know, God,
0: she'd win dancing with so, the stars.
1: Could you imagine? But it's so nice to have an artist out there when you really they've sacrificed that that idea of celebrity in order just to create incredible art. And I think that's the most admirable thing is that that will always stand. You know, because. Ultimately, you know, there's no stories, there's no gossip, there's none of this. It's focused on the art and that is an incredible, but yeah, privileged position to be in at this point.
2: Totally. We were talking about Polly Harvey. I think Polly is sort of the 90s version of Kate and someone who figured out a way to focus on the art by, you know, working with with the art, you know, museums or art institutes that are doing different kinds of projects and thus avoiding the... The you know the gossip of the past, her the Nick Cave era with her, whatever we don't think about that with her now. And mm-hmm. and when I think about Polly, is another one of my top artists, but I don't ever think about her personal life particularly. You know, mm-hmm. I just think about the work, and that's the great thing.
1: And I and think I another one, just to add on that particular, because it just keeps coming to mind, is Enya. Yes, um, because I yes. you know I I love Enya's work, and I love the fact that. That again is one of these mysterious characters that are away in their castle in this magical thruple. That's what I heard. <laughs> um, and, and again, even with the performance element, you know that yes, Kate came and did, she gave us a tour. We were very lucky. Someone like Enya is a lot of it's in production. You know, a lot of it is creating that sound and that world. Mm-hmm. Someone who is to kind of stay away um, and then just kind of uh, kind of come out with the music. But then you know you can. I mean, artists don't have the privilege of getting a million pound deal to write an Oscar-winning song to kind of no. tide over the rent, you know. So
2: <laughs> Exactly.
1: it's yeah, another position of privilege, I think. But another artist, I think, know to say that they don't really do much. Then when they come out, you you always know it's them, you know, it's their yes. work. Totally.
0: So to to wrap it up, I'm actually really I couldn't be happier. This is happening for Kate right now. Um There are some kind of gatekeeping. BS people who like are like, oh, I liked Kate back in the day. And how do these kids just mm-hmm. find out about now? I'm like, cause they're 14. That's how they're, right. <laughs> you know, how you find out about music is how you find out about it. I certainly in my day found, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that I thought dear Prudence was a Susie and the Banshees song at first. I (laughs) discovered that song through Susie, you know, nobody at me. I'm sorry. It is what it is, but I I'm really happy that young people are discovering Kate's music. So the last question I have for you guys is if, if a young person was to come up to you, they only know running up that Hill. They only know stranger Mm -hmm. things. And they're like, I want to get into Kate Bush. What do I listen to next? Do you throw them into the deep end with the dreaming or what Mm -hmm. do you recommend?
1: (laughs) Um, I would say that, um, From from this from every discussion I have with any Kate Bush pre existing fan, they go, Yeah, you know, you can handle you can handle me at my running up that hill, but can you handle me at get out of my house? Yeah. So I say just go straight to get out of my house and go because it's you know, (laughs) that's that's it's the peak, isn't it? It's from that one to for another one it just needs a resurgence that needs to be included in the next season you know let's get that one on
2: <laughs> yeah right. i i i have to agree i mean it's it is one of the great uh to me the great works of art of the 80s of any period of time but i also think i can't remember what her anthology was called but having an anthology or a great playlist that guides you through all of her changes is wonderful too, because then you can see her evolution. You can see her responses to different moments. And that gives you the picture of the whole artist. So jump in the deep end with the dreaming and then do your laps by listening to the anthology. Yeah.
0: Awesome. All right, kids, go listen to the dreaming right now. And thank you for (laughs) listening to this epic discussion about uh, Kate Bush. Thank you so much, Jenny and Anne, for joining me before I let you go. Is there anything you're working on that you want to do a shameless plug for? This is the time. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, I did recently do a bbc for special um, on Kate Bush. I think it's called, mm. I didn't title it, I collaborated with a great producer named Clem Hitchcock. And it's. I think it's called In Praise of Strange Things. So check that out. It's out there.
1: Awesome. And Ginny, what about you? Oh, well, if you like weird, wacky, wonderful, glorious music, then I have a brand new album out called Ginny Lemon's Tonic, uh, which is available online now. So go have a little listen.
0: Mm-hmm awesome i absolutely will do that i recommend that people listening to us now and after they listen to the dreaming check that out as well so thank you so much today thank you Anne. thank you Ginny. this was a really wonderful discussion thanks everybody for listening i'm lindsay parker remember to give totally 80s a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and i'll catch you next time
1: this was totally 80s the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too.